Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's made his debut in the Passing Dimes franchise twice on Sharp Cuts, and he really brought the thunder both times, so I'm hoping he can match that here on a personal interview. So today's guest is a five-time OVA Provincial Silver Medalist. Uh, he's won one National Silver, all with Aurora Storm. He's a second-team All-Star and an all-rookie team when he went on to play for the Windsor Lancers, where he also won two OUA Bronze Medals. Please welcome to the show, Nolan Langley. Nolan, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me out. I had a great time the last two, so I was excited to come back. Well, Garrett's not here, so we'll try to match the same energy, but I, I feel like it, it's just going to be a different vibe without him. But uh, because <laughs> it is an interview style, I, I know the downloads are obviously pretty good for your sharp cut. So I know the volleyball community knows who you are, but maybe for some of our listeners who aren't familiar, they, they may also recognize that your brother played post-secondary. So right off the bat, like, were you guys a volleyball household or what other sports were you guys playing growing up before you and your brother decided to pursue volleyball as like your main thing? We kind of, we did everything uh, when we were kids growing up. Um, we both did lacrosse for a little bit. Um, and then he kind of took a turn to baseball for a couple of years. And I went soccer for a good portion of my childhood. Uh, played like six or seven years of, of rep soccer before moving into volleyball. But uh, it was pretty much high school that kind of uh, kicked it into overdrive for me and for him. So uh, we dipped our toe in the in the water of a bunch of different sports, but uh, both of us came out uh, loving volleyball the most. So, And just remind me, what high school did you go to? We went to Oxford Secondary. Oh, awesome. So a friend of the show, Jeff Hamlin, went there. I think Luke Wood was the guy there. So like pretty good volleyball program yeah. overall, you'd say, right? Yes, very, very good. We were uh, very driven on, on our volleyball program at that school and still are today. So when did you learn that club volleyball was a thing? Because obviously hearing about the sports background that just your family has, but you can play lacrosse at a young age, you can play soccer at a young age. Like when did you learn that you could take volleyball seriously, even though it wasn't happening probably until you were 13 or 14, right? Yeah. So I had a friend on my soccer team uh, and his dad actually coached a team, not not a known team. I think it was more of those one-off, uh, like couple couple years uh, coaching, you know, people that he knew. Uh, low tier kind of thing. So I practiced with them in grade seven and we didn't have enough people to uh, make a team. So we were kind of just practicing for the year. So that was when like, I kind of got my knowledge of the OVA and, and club volleyball and in that sense. Uh, and then grade eight, when we started playing in school, one of my best friends, uh, Oliver Hissink, who went to Guelph, he went to my public school with me and uh, I asked him to come like play for this team and play like rep volleyball. And he was like, no, my mom actually found like this other club, uh, Aurora Storm, and I'm going to go to those tryouts. So maybe you want to come with me. And we both went there and both made it. And that was how we got stuck on Aurora Storm. Nice. And when you say stuck, it brings a smile to my face because uh, I know there's a lot of movement and later on in the years, like people start to jump clubs, but that storm team, it must have had you and Ollie and was Mitchell Lahis and Nick Turin, like the I think the core of that team. And sure you added Dylan Devisary later on or Tariq played, I think, 17 U, but I think Correct. the core of the team, like you must have played a lot of years with those guys, right? We did. Uh that was actually like one of our really like that was like the backbone of our team was the fact that we wanted to keep the core and that like stemmed right from our coach, Marquise. He was all about keeping the same group of guys. And, and from a very, very young age, we, you know, made a team goal that, uh, you know, whatever we do leading up to 18U is great. If we win gold, we win silver, we win provincials, whatever we do, all those accomplishments are, 
uh, are good and we're going to celebrate them and we're going to be happy with them. But our true goal working from our, our core that we got at a, at a young age was to win 18U provincials. And, uh, we did that from, from years in advance. That was our, our goal. And it was our goal to do that with that core group of guys. Um, maybe add a couple here and there throughout the years, uh, that can help make us better, which we did. Like you mentioned, we had Tariq, we had Dylan, we brought Joel Simplonius, uh, in 17U, I think. We brought Lucas Felice, uh, from, I think he was on Markham and he came over in 16U. So we, we brought a couple guys here and there throughout the years to, uh, to help with the team. And, uh, but for the most part, we, we kept that core the same that it was. Now, obviously, Mark, he's a tremendous athlete and one heck of a coach too. But uh, I'm curious, how did he sell this message? Because I think some people don't remember what they had for dinner last night, let alone setting a goal in 15U that you're going to be the best 18U team, right? So how did the team kind of connect to that versus saying, well, I want to win the tournament this Saturday when we go play the McGregor Cup or whatever's happening, right? Like, how did you want to stay connected versus just like losing sight of that? Because it was honestly years away when you guys probably announced that. Right. Yeah, we... We still looked ahead at the, the tournament at hand and the games that we were, we were dealing with. But, um, I think that's one thing that helped me throughout my career because of Mark and can help a lot of other people that you can have more than one goal and you can have a big goal. And like, you can also have like all these small ones that can help you obtain that goal. So our main big goal that we had was to obviously like get to winning 18U provincials. Um, but leading up to that, like all of those other successes that we could have winning the tournaments that were, you know, staring us in the face at the time, um, is a stepping stone to getting to that goal. So, you know, we were still hungry to win those tournaments that we were at and that we didn't take our eye off that looking to the future, but that was something that we were always having in the back of our head, um, you know, when we were practicing and, and stuff like that and playing in our tournaments that we're doing what we need to do now so that when we get to that 18 new year, like we can actually hit that, that big goal that we wanted to get. Now, did the goals ever start getting distracted by the strength of the age division? And what I mean by that is in your bio here, when we announced all those silvers, that's thanks most in part to Sean Vernon Evans and Jordan Figueroa and those Pac-Man guys. But even when you were younger, the Pac-Man, for lack of a term, B team was very, very good. Uh, I, I coached the Leaside team and we would take a bunch of fifths and try to battle. And, and it, when we got to like a semifinal or something, like our team was pretty good. Uh, Danan and the Titans guys were good. The younger Titans team with uh, Zane Grossinger, like it just goes on and on about how many guys like London Fire talking about Pierce and, and Cole Jordan and all those guys. So it, it just seemed like it was such a deep division for the whole OVA. Like at any point when you said like, Oh, we're going to win 18 year. Did you start to be like, Oh, that means we have to beat this guy and this guy and this guy. Like, did you ever get distracted by some of the other stronger teams in the category? Yeah. I mean like that, that obviously slipped into the mind a couple, uh, a couple times throughout. Like um, as you mentioned those names, I'm sure a lot of the listeners know who they are. And like, it was, it, we ended up being like a successful age group in the volleyball community. So like that definitely like went into the back of my mind, especially for me, Shawan, because that was my matchup every single time that I had to play a volleyball game against Pac-Man. So um, yeah, it was definitely, it, it was difficult to keep out of your mind and to, to not make it affect the way that you're playing, but also uh, it made us all, all better. And having those tougher games uh, throughout the year made us better. And, you know, 
it's just like it's something that you have to get used to. Like you're not going to really change that, right? So, you know, our our road to almost every provincial looked the same with us playing against Niagara in the quarterfinals almost every time. So it was always playing against uh, JP, and you know he was just like a rock for that team that you know you couldn't break them. So it was always tough to get them. And it was always a tough quarterfinal, but the fact that that was a tough quarter for us and some of the other teams were maybe able to walk over their quarterfinal, like we were ready for our semi and we had a tough semi normally against like, like you said, Danon and, and that Scarborough Titans team. And, you know, we, we go from a stellar passer with amazing ball control to now our focus is having to turn to this massive middle and uh, you know, that can, game changing for us and again that was always a tough game and that got us ready for our finals every single year so um you know you you get used to playing against those guys and you just learn that that's just something that you have to like a something you have to get past if you want to make it to the final so and how did uh marquise or the other coaches or even the guys on the team really buy into this concept that you guys were just going to compete. And what I mean by that is like boys volleyball, I think some players get distracted that they, they just want to mash balls. And some guys in the age group would certainly go up and just pound balls and definitely win the warm up, Right. But when I think of your storm team, I just think we, we knew we were always in for one because you guys were just ballers and we were going to battle and compete. But like there wasn't somebody in my opinion, who was going to blow up a ball inside the three meter line, like Dana or Shawan could, but you just knew you were in for a battle. So I'm curious, was that something that your team identity, like you guys actually talked about? Uh, Sort of, not fully in that sense, but with Mark being a beach player and being the defender mostly of his beach team, we were super, super focused on defense. Serving in defense was like every single practice throughout our club career. And, you know, I didn't, uh, <laughs> he'll admit this today, like I didn't get a lot of setting tips because he, he was, you know, he played beach. So like, he can, you know, help me with all the basic stuff, but, um, and, and that all helped a lot, but, you know, he was kind of coaching from where his knowledge came from, which was, we're going to dig everybody and, you know, hitting kind of comes naturally to, to all of us and all the, you know, the guys growing up. So I think with the reps that you get, you're kind of just naturally going to progress in your aspect of being able to attack. Whereas if, uh, you know, if you don't get those reps on defense and the being comfortable, like standing on the line and being ready to take one in the face or be able to, uh, read the game or get off the mark to, uh, grab a tip or something like that. Like if you're not practicing that kind of stuff, then, you know, it's not really going to come to you. So he was like driving defense into us, uh, from the get go. And I think that was, uh, you know, one thing that you said you saw is not that we were super aggressive at the net and physical, but we were staying in the game because we were scrappy and, and we wouldn't let the ball hit the floor. So I am curious. Yeah. Cause it, that makes sense that Mark's passion and his expertise leads you one way. So did it help that Rory was also a setter? Like were, were these like conversations you were having at the dinner table? Like where did you learn like your passion for the technical side of the game and some strategy stuff? Cause I, I don't want to shy away from it. Obviously Mark knows that stuff, but it's not like his expertise. So did that come from like your high school coach? Did that come from your brother? Like where did you pick up that side of your game? I think there was a little bit of everything. 
uh, like obviously Rory and I would talk about setting, but he's also two years older than me. So by the time that I got into high school, uh, he was in grade 11 and I was in grade nine. So we always practiced at the same time, but on separate courts. So we would talk a little bit about it, but you know, it didn't really get into the more technical stuff until we got older and started learning more. But I think honestly, like Mark, he, he did help me in a way that was like indirectly led to like helping me set, um, just by reading the game and learning more about the game and, 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 you know, playing him, coaching me in beach helped with that as well. Like, just with that whole reading the game aspect, I think kind of helped me turn to uh, my style of game and, and offense that I run. And then also to my high school coach, like uh, he taught me a ton as well and drove that passion into me. Like nobody's ever driven volleyball passion into anybody like that. He loves the game, will do anything to to coach and see people get better. So like, all of those people combined kind of helped progress me to where I am today. But I think university was really when I like caught on to uh, learning my style and learning how to read the game uh, the way that I do now. Um, and that was like getting some help from, from my setting coach, Will, uh, with a lot of one-on-one uh, time and discussion and video. And then also Gravel taking that time away to, to help me with that as well. So it was a little mix of everybody. For sure. Yeah. And you, and you just mentioned Gravel there. So I'm curious, when did post-secondary become a serious option for you? Like, were were you the one initiating talks with coaches? Was Gravel the one who kind of spoke to either he or you first and, and let you know that Windsor was going to be an option? Like, when, when did that become a, a thing that you knew you could play in the OUA? My first thought of that would have been 16U. I, Oliver and I were playing in the summer games. And at that year that we were playing was actually in Windsor at the what we call the sand dunes and then we had the whole like pre summer game ceremony was at the university of windsor on the track and stuff like that so i actually got to see a tiny bit of the university at the time but i wasn't really thinking much about it but i did talk to gravel when i was there um and jimmy l turk who coaches the women at st Clair college talked to them a little bit while we were there that was like my first little taste of, of university knowledge, but I uh, didn't really think about it until 17U. And when I got to 17U, I was thinking a little bit more about it just because, you know, the schools are starting to drive you that way with your classes and talking about, you know, uh, taking a look and, and stuff like that. So I was looking at a, a couple schools, but no one. You know, like like I said before, like we had a we have a very successful class that I come from with Pierce and Shawan and uh, you know David from LVC and like all those people. So I wasn't really getting looked at as much as those guys were. So I had to reach out myself. So I ended up being the first one to to email Gravel in that scenario. But when I did, he he was like, "No, I know, I remember you. Like I talked to you at the 16U games and stuff like that." So it kind of got off to a good start right from the get-go. And now that it's revisionist history at this point, because obviously you're a big Windsor guy and you're still coaching there, was there any other universities you were pursuing or did you want to go to Windsor as like your one? No, there were a couple. Actually, like 
the the funny story about the whole thing is that when Oliver and I were at the summer games in Windsor, uh, we both wrote it off from even with the conversation from Gravel. Um, but that was like, you know, I was 16. I was young. I'm from like farmer country and I don't, I didn't like being in a city. So like I wrote it off from the get go. Um, all the Toronto schools were written off for me solely because it's Toronto and I didn't want to be in a, in a massive city. That was just not something that I wanted to do. So uh, I wrote Windsor off early, but then when it got down to it, um, and I ended up going here, but my other schools that I was looking at at the time were Guelph and Brock. Nice. Nice. So one thing I got to ask you about Windsor is looking back at your career, obviously for you guys to be on the podium, you're going to nationals, like you helped build it into something. And I'm not saying it wasn't that because there were some good players before you, uh, but at your cycle, it wasn't like a top destination. And then all of a sudden they get you, they get Pierce, uh, Adam child commits. So did you kind of know something was in the works that Gravel had a pretty good class coming in or what made you decide there? Like, uh, obviously maybe playing time was going to be a threat as soon as you got there. Like what were some other things that you considered before you finally committed on Windsor? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had a, a, a really good answer for you, but Gravel was the only person that would let me set. So, uh, everywhere else that I was looking at were wanting me to come train with them as a libero or, uh, try out and like not sign a LOI and just come try out and see what happens. So I, yeah, I wish I could give you a better answer, but mostly it was solely because like Gravel was giving me the opportunity to play the position that I was, I've been playing my whole life. Um, and then I, you know, I met some of the guys on the team when I did my, my, recruiting trip down there and they were all nice. I knew some of them, like I knew Roland from a uh, club, didn't like him at the time, but at least I knew him <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was mostly met the guys, saw the campus. I loved it cause it was, uh, kind of small, smaller than most. And it made me kind of feel home being in a city and then uh, being able to play the position that I've been playing my whole life was was the major thing that that led me to Windsor. So you come in as a first year. Pierce and Adam are first years. Uh, you mentioned Roland, but I think he's maybe a second or a third year. Brad Jamie's yeah. young. Like was Gabriel Laku like the only vet on the team? I'm trying to think. Maybe Josh Rankin was still there. Rankin came the year after. I think he was at St. Clair that one year. I believe maybe not. Um, but yeah, Gabe was pretty much the only, the only veteran that was there at the time. So So what were practices like? Because uh, again, it's revisionist history and it's almost comical at this point, but like my (laughs) understanding is John Moat was not very good. Like the John Moat that left university (laughs) was not the John Moat who entered university. Right. So were you guys just this ragtag group that wanted to work hard and Gravel was going to coach you up? Like what were some of those first uh, few practices like with the guys? We were awful now that I look back at it. We were terrible. <laughs> we were so bad at volleyball. And, um, but yeah, you kind of pointed in the right direction with that. Like, you know, with me and Roland and Brad being from Windsor, Pierce, uh, Adam, uh, Domi and Mark were in my age group and they are from Windsor too. Mo got pulled in from not playing volleyball before. Like, we were a really, really young group of guys that all have a lot of competitiveness that don't want to be bad at our sport. And we all had a chip on our shoulder. And I think that was like a really big thing that 
pushed us into that direction that we went into because, you know, we were all overlooked. Um, none of us really got recruited much, if at all. And we wanted to prove something that we deserve to be here. We deserve to at least get a chance. And when we got that chance, we hit the ground running and we all worked hard and got us to where we are. But those first couple practices and that whole first year was kind of rough. Like it, it was, uh, I remember my, my first, our first semester, we went 0 and 7. That was my first semester in university. And I, I just remember how hard that was to go from, you know, at least getting at least silver at provincials and being on a, a really good team and getting so used to winning that losing seven games straight. And although it's only seven games, like it's, it's a whole half of a, like a whole half of a year, like your year's halfway done and you haven't even been able to steal a game from somebody. So I just remember like we lost like 15, 12 or 15, 13 to Ryerson. And I just walked up to my mom after the game and I was just speechless. Like I couldn't even get a word out because I was just destroyed that we couldn't win a game. And then, you know, I was thinking at that point, like, did I make the wrong decision? Which also wasn't good. So, um, you know, it just drove us to work a little bit harder. And like I said, like none of us want to lose and we were all super competitive. So getting beat down in our first year was kind of necessary for us to get to where we were, I think. So in your mind or your opinion, what switched that second year? Because I believe the next year is when you took uh, an OUA bronze and you get to compete at nationals. So what was yeah. the big change for you guys? Uh, honestly, I think it was a, a little bit of experience. Uh, you know, at all of us now that are on the floor, we, we didn't have any first years on the floor, I don't think. And so we all had experience under our belt, experience playing together. and. Uh, you know, just a slow progression at getting better. Um, and along with that, like Gravel was, uh, I think Roland was his first, Roland's age group, Roland Brad, I think were his first recruiting class that he had himself. And then we were his second, I believe. So, you know, he was, he was a fresh coach in the OUA. So he's learning as well. And I think all of us just got more experience under our belt. Um, I talked about like kind of finding my identity in university and I started like slowly figuring that out. And I think some of the other guys did as well, just like playing your game and your style of volleyball and stuff like that kind of helped as well. Um, and that was something that I kind of wanted to touch on was just like, like everyone has this thought about what volleyball is and how it needs to be played. You know, like, especially men's is just like, yo, you need to be like six, five and you need to be tall and you need to be able to smash a ball, probably spin serve at a high level. And that's kind of what everybody has in their, in their head of what men's volleyball is. And, you know, in that second year, I think we kind of, uh, turned the table on that a little bit and found our style of volleyball and found our identity of, of what it means to, to win and play our game, which was, um, you know, the same as my, my storm team. We didn't have guys that could pound the ball inside the three meter line. We had Pierce that was still learning and he was young. 
in, and you know, he got to the point to be able to do that. But in his second year, he wasn't there yet. So we practiced so much of hitting high hands and using the block because we couldn't, we didn't have a guy that could put the ball past the block. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, we're going to hit high hands for 45 minutes straight tonight. So I got practice. Uh, Anthony would have been there by then because he was only, he's only a year younger than me. We got practice of setting high balls for hours a week. So we got better at setting high balls. And they got better at hitting high hands. And if you go back and watch like our bronze medal match, our, uh, our, <clears throat> I'm going to only say our first set against Trinity Western because that was the only good one that we, <laughs> that we played in that, that national quarterfinal. But if you go watch the points that we scored, like Roland and Pierce were just smashing balls, high hands out the back, out the side. Uh, I'd set, you know, I'd force middle. And that was something that I found, uh, I was good at. And that came to like, my style of running an offense was being able to find the middle. So that whole first set of that nationals quarterfinal kind of shows you like our identity of volleyball that we got to within that second year and making that huge jump from year one to year two. Yeah. It's so cool to hear where your confidence comes from. Cause I'm looking around the league at that time and like Logan Mend is dishing. And uh, I think hooker was still at Western at that time. And even your age group had entered like David Doty's playing Dakin, I think was at Guelph. Like there's, there's talented setters across the league. And then you mentioned a year behind you, Anthony comes in as another team. O guy. And all of a sudden like mm-hmm. he might, might be pushing for playing time. So how did you become so confident or was there ever a moment where like it, it confirmed it, like you belong in this league and you're going to compete with the best of them that you can, you can fight off this rookie who's coming in and he's going to be like giving everything he got to get on the court and you're fighting from Adam Agostopoulos and like all the other top uh, setters in the league. Like how did you finally get to that confidence point where you're like, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to like, Windsor's going to be good because I'm here leading it. Yeah. Um, honestly, like I've kind of always had a bit like a, I've, I've always been confident in myself and my abilities of what I can do. And I'm able to step back and say that my abilities aren't the same as everybody's. Uh, and I knew that from a young age, but I knew that the things that I did do, I was good at. And I just needed to be able to prove to people that the things that I can do at were good enough for the league and good enough to win in the league. So within that second year and then my third year as well, like I took a really big focus on perfecting the things that I do and make it better than everybody else. Because I knew that, you know, I wasn't going to be as big as Mend and he was going to get more blocks than me and he was going to have some turn and burns and score points. And, you know, you need to kind of take your ego and throw it out the window. And, uh, and, and by doing that, that doesn't mean that you can't be confident in yourself. You just need to like, you need to be able to pull yourself out of your body and just be like, be aware of, of what you can can and can't do. And, you know, with some conversations with Corvell after my first year, um, you know, we came to the conclusion that me dumping is not worth it. So that was like one, like the first stepping stone in, in me realizing like what my capabilities are. And how to, you know, find my style of game that I play. So it was year two. I'm not dumping a ball unless I'm, I'm forced to, unless I have to go joust, unless like, you know, it's super tight and I literally have nothing else I can do with it except for try and score a point. 
But if you go back and watch any of my film, there's balls that most setters would attempt to go dump that I'm finding an attacker because I it wasn't worth it for me. I wasn't scoring. And I have Pierce who ended up being like a all Canadian and Moat who also ended up being an all Canadian. So it was just like, why am I attempting to do that when I have these guys that, you know, are meant to score points. So I just started adopting the fact that I'm just going to run the best offense in the game. It's like you take the like football, for example, like there's so many different styles of quarterbacks and there's like the ones that, you know, have the running capability that can go take a ball all the way to the end zone by themselves. But then you also have your people that aren't, don't have that capability to do that since they stand in the pocket and, you know, they let the other guys do the work. And that's kind of where my mentality came from was that I'm just going to run the best offense and let my point scorer score points. Now, what advice would you give uh, players in your similar situation without, without, like you said, putting you in a box and saying, no, you can't do this. Cause like it, it happens across a lot of sports. Like I can't believe it, but there's teams in the NHL who won't even evaluate a goalie under six, two, because their metrics say not an option where I'm sure there's coaches in the OUA who say six, two and under probably can't set for us. Right. So what mm-hmm. are some things that you're making up? Cause maybe you are giving up a little bit on the block or maybe you're not going to go for from the service line. So obviously like Dustin Snyder said, when he was on a show, like you got to set a hittable ball. Like that's the first role of your position. Right. But what were some other intangibles? Was it like your leadership coming through? Was it your prep? Was it your ability to get the best out of everybody? Was it your ability to get the M2 is probably only going to get six attempts to still go hard every time. Like what else could you bring to the table? Because you didn't look like, uh, like David Doty, I think looks like everyone, what a, setter does his footwork is so good his high release like you didn't have that eye test to you but man you you won as much as he did right you're a competitor so what would you say mm-hmm. like you could make up for you would advise like a younger setter to be like yeah you're not going to be six six and you're not going to get looked at by a lot of coaches but you can still win in this league right you kind of have to like the first thing is being able to take that criticism and not let it affect you poorly uh, is like the, the first thing, because if you can't take that criticism and, and let it drive you forward and build that chip on your shoulder that, uh, I got at a really young age that, you know, I turn that and let it drive me into the right direction. Uh, so that's the first thing. But I think, like I've been saying, you kind of have to find your own game. Like you need to, like you said, be able to set a hittable ball is also another big one, but you know, like find what works for you within the sport because setting is also not just the only thing that, that comes with volleyball. So, um, like one of the things that I did was, you know, give up my block more. So, uh, I would still work on it, but I know that I'm not going to be able to get as many as other people. So when it comes to playing in game and, and not when you're training, but when you're actually playing, like there was times that I got balls stumped over top of me, like, huge balls and everyone's freaking out and the crowd's going wild. And I'm just like, okay, like that guy's supposed to do that. He's supposed to hit over top of me. He's supposed to hit around me. I'm five, nine. Like I'm not here to get blocks. I'm like, okay, that was cool. That was a cool point that you just got come serve and now see what I can do. And I'm going to run my offense on you. And look at that. My hitter has a one-on-one and he just did the same thing back to you but you can't let it affect you and put you down. So um, for the younger kids, just like you really need to take a look at 
all the different aspects of the game. And if you're not as good at something, doesn't mean don't work on it. But you need to be able to figure out what else you can get better at that will make you stand out when it comes to the other aspects of the game. So if they're overlooking you for your height, you know, get out there and in, in, in training, like if you're trying out for chemo or something like that, you do a digging drill and you don't let a ball hit the floor and you get like 45 digs within the hour that they're doing digging drills, then you're going to pass the eye test for that. And it might at least give you another look. So yeah, just like try and really focus on like, there's more than just height to the sport. Um, and then one thing that I tell my kids when I coach the younger kids is the, I find that the mental side of the sport doesn't really get taught enough at a young age or, or spoken about. Um, and I saw a lot of kids this year, like, you know, not doing great at something in practice and getting pissed off with themselves. And then they kind of ruin the rest of their practice for themselves. Uh, or when we're doing six on six drills and, and stuff like that. And they, you know, they've hit six balls out of bounds and then they get angry. And then there's been a time where they're like, okay, don't set me anymore. I'm like, okay, well, you don't need to go that far. But I tell them there's, there's more things that you can do for us than spiking. And you can't let spiking get your entire game down because we need you to do more than that. So if you're having a bad spiking day, that's fine. Reel it back a little bit. Don't hit 100%. Now just like recycle, try and hit high hands. Don't make errors. And then focus on putting in a tough serve and try and score some points with us on the for us on the serve. Or when you get back in the back row, be just a ball hog and don't let anything touch the floor. And like, you know, maybe give us six more chances this game to, to score points because you got to dig instead of like making a couple errors and then imploding and then having to get like, make me pull you off the court. So uh, I think that's another big takeaway that people can have. It's just like, there's more than one aspect to the sport. And if you're having a bad day with something, which you're always going to have, like even my bad day, my setting days when I, when I wasn't setting the best, like I went back and just said, okay, I'm going to really focus on just not letting a ball hit the floor tonight because my setting isn't there tonight. I'm still going to try and do well at it, but I know like it's not the greatest that I've ever had. So I need to step up in another aspect of the game or else like, why am I here tonight at the moment? If I'm just going to implode it and, and let it affect my entire game. For sure. For sure. Well said. So let's dive into the mental game of following just your season here. So you guys make the playoffs, but you got to go to York to do it. And York, I, I think maybe finished first or they had a big season and they had Logan, they had Shoddy. I think Andrew Tahid was a young guy on the team. What was the mood going into that, knowing that if you can take York down at home, you're going to go to the final four and three out of the four teams are going to go to nationals. Like what was that conversation or week of planning, like uh, prepping for York in their building? It was exciting. Like we, for, well, for all of us, it was our first playoff game that we, that we ever had. So regardless of whether it was home or away, um, you know, the nerves were obviously there, but, uh, I also, it's funny when anyone ever talks about like going away, like a quarter to half of our team was from the GTA. <laughs> so, and a lot of them were starters. 
so when we got to go to the GTA, like it was basically like going home for half of us. So, you know, on the flip side, like, yeah, we have to go play at York and they're going to be home. But, uh, if anyone took a picture of those grandstands that, that night at York, this, our side of the stands were just as packed as York's was because when we go back, we have six guys on our team that are from the GTA and all of them bring friends and family with them to those games. So, um, for me, like having my family there is, is always a big thing that makes me want to play better. So, uh, it didn't really feel, I wasn't nervous going into another team's gym because I knew that I was going to have like friends and family there for me personally. Um, but you know, you, you always want to perform well, especially in a playoff game. So the nerves were obviously there a little bit for that. Um, but when it came to the prep aspect of it, like we had a really good game plan going into it. Pierce mentioned it on the, on the one podcast that I think the first time we went there, like, um, they probably knew we were going to set Moat and Pierce a lot and their whole game plan was going to focus on that. And, um, our game plan was to give all the volume to the M2 and the P2. So they were expecting everything to go to our two big hitters and we flipped it on them and made the volume go the opposite way and they couldn't figure it out. They didn't know what was going on. We had middles that were like half blocking out towards Pierce and like even halfway through the second set and Mark Pino is there hitting like, and he always came with a fast 50. Like the ball was almost hit out of my hands just because of how he ran it. So the ball was on the floor before the middle even realized that Mark was getting set for the 14th time that game. <laughs> and God knows why. And then Pierce, Pierce got most of his volume out of pipe on that specific game. So uh, Gravel did an amazing job game planning that, which made it much easier for me uh, and Anthony if, if he was going to go in. Like we had a game plan that we were sticking to, and that definitely took some some ease off the mind, not having to think something through as much on the court as the plays were going on. And then take me into the prep with Mac because obviously McMaster has earned it. Like they're they're a top OUA team, but I think that was coming off of the years where I think Danny Demenko and Steve Marr won OUAs every single year they were there. So now it's a little bit different group. Like Arich is still there, but now it's Paslin and some other guys. And you guys wheel in and you take down the first set. Like obviously it's going to be a tough match, but like you give it to them in their building again. So was there a lot of belief with you guys that you could beat McMaster? Like what was the prep like for that game? Yeah, we, we did have a, a lot of belief. Like we knew that we had something special going on with our group and, um, you know, that chip on our shoulder that we all had, um, was still there and we weren't done yet. So, um, our prep didn't really change that much compared to any other teams. Like we watched a lot of film. We've tried to figure out what they do. They like the back pipe, uh, with Richards and stuff like that. So the middle and the left sides were keying on that. We knew they were going to throw everything over to me when I was in the front row. Like, honestly, like game planning for us, I'm not going to say it was easy, but you kind of know what teams are going to do playing against, against me. Um, so it was relatively easy for me personally to be able to read what a setter was going to do for the most part, because like I would do the same thing. Undersized setter, you're going to separate and go over there. Luckily, I had. Moat, who was 
arguably the best blocker in the league over there helping me. And we were able to get some stops and some slowdowns and uh, stuff like that. But the, the game plan leading up to that was not very different compared to other ones. Um, we played them a lot. So we kind of knew what they were going to do. It was just more so about can we execute? Uh, and we did in that first set. But they made a, a crucial substitution and put Craig Ireland in the second. And he kind of popped off and did what he was supposed to do as a bench player. So um, <clears throat> we had a plan going in to try and go after Coppers. And uh, it worked in that first set. He kind of broke down. And uh, they made that sub and put Ireland in. And he did what he was supposed to do as a bench player. And he came off and scored his points and helped them end up taking that, that game. Now, it, it, I find it never easy to bounce back for a bronze medal game. And obviously, this one might have a, a little bonus that you're going to get to go to nationals. But weird timing. So you play Mac at an 8 o'clock game like the gym was rocking and, and you lose. Now you got to go back and you got to prepare for it. It says here on the schedule it was a 530 in the afternoon game for the bronze medal game, which is like just weird on the body clock. And you're preparing and you're playing Ryerson, a team that had, I think, Lucas Coleman and Adam Anastopoulos. And they were a solid team. So what was the mood in the hotel either the, the night after Mac or like breakfast the next day? Like, how do you guys get fired up for a 530 bronze medal game? Yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit weird uh, for sure. But uh, like I said, this was kind of what people might consider a miracle run. So you're, you're not done at that point. And, you know, we're still playing for our first medal that we've ever had. I think it was maybe only our, would have been our second one in program history. And, you know, we still had a job to get done. So we were all excited to play, um, excited for the opportunity to, to gain our first medal. And uh, again, like we kind of knew what they were going to do. We played them before. And uh, to go back to my first year story, that 0-7 game that we lost to was Ryerson in the fifth setter. So I was still kind of had that in the back of my head that I wanted to take them down and kind of make them feel how I felt in, in my first year and take that medal away from them. So you, you take it down and now you get to go to nationals. Like are the boys just super fired up? Is Gravel trying to keep it the same? Like the prep looks the same or it, is it just because it's nationals? Like it has to be a little bit different or what was it like when you guys knew you stamped your ticket to go play for a national championship? Uh, it was a little bit different. Like we knew we were probably going to be the eighth seed uh, being the third place team from Ontario. So we knew we were going to play whoever was going to be ranked number one. And uh, it was just like a, a big stepping stone in the program uh, being able to say that we made nationals because we, that was the first time we've done it in program history. Uh, so I think like one thing, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think Gravel was like excited that we got there for future purposes, recruiting purposes to say that, you know, this team as young as we are made nationals and half of these guys still have three or four years to go two, three years to go. Um, and like, look what we're doing and we're changing the culture and stuff like that. So I think, you know, it, you want to keep your, your hopes up and say that you can go in and win and you're going to go in with the belief that you can win, but we knew who we were going to, who we were going to play. We knew, you know, that it was going to be Trinity Western. We knew that we were going to be the underdogs and that they were going to be a good team. So. Um, you know, we were excited to, to play in it. I was, I, you know, was loving that I had the opportunity to be able to say that I played in a, in a national quarterfinal, uh, and get there. But 
Um, we went out there and tried to win, but I think we all kind of knew what we had coming for us in that quarterfinal game, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I think it, it, it's still Trinity and they still had Adam Scheimer, but that was kind of them reloading where I think Jesse Elser was young. Uh, I don't think Lepke played the match against you. I think he had the flu, but he came back the next yeah. night. Uh, they still had Kern. Jackson Howe was just a young buck. So it, it just seems like Trinity was just rolling it over and they still had a lot of talent there. But uh, again, you guys, you, you obviously go in with a goal and you lose that quarterfinal. How do you play through the next day at Nationals where you got to play Montreal the next day? Like, I'm just curious, a guy like you who's so competitive and has so much self-belief, like, is it easy to get up the next day and play that Constellation match? Or were the guys a little defeated at that point? Uh, I think I think we were a little bit defeated, honestly, just because we knew that we were, we like, our shot was kind of done. Uh, I'm being honest, the Montreal match was not much of a match. <laughs> we got beat down by them, but... I think we all kind of like, we went out there, tried to win. Uh, they were a better team than us that year, hands down. And we went in there and I think we kind of all got what we accomplished out of that, that nationals match. It was experience against some of the best teams in Canada that, you know, were going to help us for the years to come. Um, because we all had a lot of time left at the university and we took a set off Trinity which nobody was expecting us to do. So as, as hard as it was to wake up and know that we weren't playing for a semi, like our semifinal match, um, we could leave with our heads held high saying that we took a set off the best ranked team in the entire country. And we got that experience under our belt and that can help us moving forward with the program and progressing our program even more. Now, obviously, there's a lot we can still cover with your your playing career and everything else you accomplished. But just to jump ahead a little bit, uh, after you're done playing, what got you interested that you wanted to coach? Not only at the university level, but you're coaching kids, you're coaching club. Like, what made you want to stay involved in volleyball? Yeah, I've actually been coaching for a while now. Uh, back in high school, I helped coach our senior women's team because um, the head coach, uh, Tony Kiriaku, was doing men's and women's. And I was pretty close with him. So I helped him with the, with the senior girls. So I've been coaching or helping coach for a while now. Uh, and I knew that I always wanted to do it because just like, I think that the way that I see the game, uh, like even talking to some of the guys that I play with now, or, uh, you know, I talk to Pierce and I talk almost every day and, a lot of it is about volleyball and, um, you know, just picking each other's brains and even some of the things that he says to me or that I say to him, he's just like, Oh, I've never thought about it that way. Uh, and then even giving some feedback back to Anthony, uh, cause he's still at the university, uh, and I'm helping him and coaching him. Like, he, like I get some of that feedback from them too. Like I've never thought of it like that. Or when you put it like that, like that makes sense. So I've kind of been getting some feedback that like the way that I see the game and the way that my head works when it comes to, especially to like running an offense and setting it, like people like it when I give it to them and they want that kind of knowledge. So I want to be able to give that back to, to people and try and help create like a better community and a more competitive community and have people progress and see the game the way that I see it. And, um, you know, like I'm done playing now, but I'm still competitive. Like that, 
still hasn't left my body and it won't for a very, very long time, if ever. And if I can't play, like I want to be coaching at a high level and see the people that I'm working with at least perform with, with me helping them on a sideline because then at least I can like be a part of a competitive nature. Now there, there could be several reasons for this, but I am interested in your opinion of why, why you think the, the growth of our sport is stunted in that area where there's a lot of passionate coaches, there's a lot of kids playing, but like the setting tactics haven't really advanced a lot in the youth level. Is it because people don't know what to look for? Obviously the sport's not on TV, so you don't have commentators breaking it down. Like you watch an NFL game and the commentators are so good that you feel like you're learning as you're watching and you're learning tactics. Like where in your opinion as, as the setting position kind of stunted, at least in Ontario. And I think in Canada in general, that like the youth guys aren't that technical tactical until like, it's almost too late and they're up in the like 17 U 18 division before they start really grasping some stuff. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, it, there's a, a couple different things, but like for me, one of the things was, uh, like personally, like I didn't know anything about setting footwork until I got to the University of Windsor. Like I had zero footwork. I had no idea what I was doing and I didn't do clinics or lessons or stuff leading up to it. Um, so when I got to Windsor and Will was telling me about it and teaching me about it and it took me like, my entire first year to finally like get the muscle memory to do it. Um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. So I think part of it is like not getting taught at a young age, um, the, the correct things. And that could also stem to the coaches not having the knowledge of the footwork or knowing that this footwork is helpful and that's what the pros are using. And that's what the international players are using. But I think it's starting to get a little bit better with, with the knowledge being passed down, but also like you mentioned earlier, um, putting the kids in a box and just saying like, we're not good enough to, to try this or he's not good enough to attempt a, a back row set. So we don't see them until they're 18 years old. Whereas, you know, with my guys, I was like my 16 U kids, I was trying to get them to at least if they can't perfect it, at least have the knowledge of running a pipe. And then as they progress, they can know that, you know, this is the time to set it and why, and uh, having the confidence to be able to do it. Cause it's a lot on the confidence. If, if these kids are having trouble with, with confidence to begin with to now throw at them, okay, now I want you to start setting pipes and sea balls and then them not even know when to set it, why they're setting it how to use it in their, their offensive system. And then also struggling to perfect that on top of all of that is like hard mentally. If you're already not, you know, there fully with your confidence to be able to, to incorporate that into your game. So that's also another aspect of it, I think, but I think it's getting a little bit better. Like I've helped out with some clinics in the Windsor area and um, you know, I've, have I know a lot of coaches that I've played with or against um, that if I ever see them, like I was at provincials for two weekends this year that I was talking to people and, you know, you always pick people's brains. So I think that knowledge is kind of helping or is getting passed down and that might be helping a little bit more. So hopefully it starts to trickle down even more and get better. 
Now, it's a dangerous thought, and I certainly don't want to speak for him, but like my, my guy Garrett here doesn't really care about stats, and we've got into a few times. So uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he thinks setting such a physical position and you got to be so creative that maybe Garrett doesn't care if you do a left-right close or a right-left close. But I'm curious what your thoughts are of it is a creative position and it's extremely tactical, but how important is the technique when you finally did learn your footwork and like what, what the sequence of action needs to be before you set the ball? Personally, for me, it was everything. It, it was like, it, if, if I'm going to like go into the, the breakdown of setting, like it helps you with preparation. It helps you with staying behind the ball. It helps you with power. It helps you with accuracy and not being lazy. And like all of that will lead to a good set. So if you, you know, uh, I know the girls do it differently because they sometimes finish off one foot and that's coming into the men's side now too. And we're teaching it a little bit too, when it gets to a certain point to go off one. And I don't have a problem with that, but the one foot takeoff, if you're doing it properly also like gives you that rhythm to find. And that helps you with, with everything in, in making a good set. Cause if you can't find that rhythm, like you can just tell uh, with with setters when they have that footwork and they can find the rhythm and when they don't have it and you know the rhythm is kind of like choppy um, but you know if you're finishing with that right left you're staying behind the ball because that means that you're stepping into it on those last two steps so the ball is staying in front of you and it's not on top of your head those last two steps if you're doing them properly as you're making them you're bending your knees to generate power and you're squaring yourself up with that last left left foot as you're turning it to the to the left pin. So, like everyone that you ask that was on that that was on the Windsor team with me and coaches included will say that like I was able to finally start progressing and and all aspects of my ability to set when that footwork became natural for me, just finding the rhythm and with me being small, like I have to generate more power with my legs. That's just something that I have to do. And I had to learn how to do. So with some other guys, uh, you know, like Logan was Logan men was, he was huge, like just built big too. So like watching him set a high ball from the back corner and one across the four compared to me is like completely different because he was just big and strong and he didn't need as much power to generate from you know his legs and stuff that I did, but we both got it done. It's just I had to find that rhythm and find uh, the footwork and that ability to like really progress me in a way that I could make all that stuff work. For sure, for sure. Well, man, this has been awesome. I'm sure there's lots more to cover, but uh, I'm just looking at the clock and I've taken up a lot of your time. Where one tradition we've built into this show is just to tell a funny or unique story. So we've learned about your career heck of a club career and a high school career to winning some OUA medals and going to nationals, but man, something odd or funny must have happened along the way. So I was hoping you could share a funny story mm-hmm. with us before we let you go. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there was one funny, funny, alarming story. Um, but I was playing in a game, uh, in my third or fourth year and my brother was out there cheering us on, uh, doing what fans do chirping everybody on the other team and uh you know they weren't too impressed with it the coaches weren't too impressed with it on the other team um and ended up 
talking to the ref about getting him moved and then getting him moved ended up being kicked out of the the gym. So then he had to watch from the little glass window from the door outside <laughs> of the gym and he was just watching it there. But for some reason, the guys on the other team were still paying attention to him, even though he was behind them. So they, they shouldn't even have been looking at him. But he was still getting to them from outside the gym behind the door. And uh, the coach was still getting pissed off and uh, had some words with the, with the other coaches and the down ref and uh, asked him to get fully removed from the facility and also threatened that he knew somebody in the Hells Angels and he could potentially put a hit out on my brother if he didn't stop chirping his team. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, this, so the ref had to get the facility manager involved. The facility manager had to like go up to my brother and say like, Hey dude, you should probably think about leaving because, uh, <laughs> there was a slight threat. Uh, so my brother had to like leave partway through the game. I was, pissed i was heated uh and there was just like the game just continued to get heated like even more heated through the net and um made me play a little bit better and have something to play for but uh yeah that's uh whenever i tell the story it still blows my mind to this day yeah, absolutely. This is one of the most crazy stories I've ever heard. And we've been doing the show since like 2019. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then a couple weeks later, we got home like a week and a half later. And uh, Adam had his motorcycle down at our house, like our, our team house at Windsor. And he had it stolen, completely unrelated. But, you know, our heads instantly go. It's like, did they steal it? Did the Hells Angels steal Adam's bike? <laughs> oh and that's gosh. just this is just step one of their, of their process of just toying with us. They took Adam's bike and, and now they're going after one of us next. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's probably the craziest thing that that's happened when it comes to volleyball. The fact that I was in the game in the middle of the game. Yeah. Yeah. We're dealing with this. Like it had to be stopped like three or four times to, to be dealt to, for my brother to be dealt with and removed from bleachers to hallway, hallway to out of the facility. And obviously it, it doesn't compare because it's a different situation. But when you talk about like crazy crowds, this is like one person chir- chirping a team into complete like fold up and they want them removed from the facility. But like when Pierce was on Sharp Cuts, he talked about how disappointed he was with the Ottawa VNL crowd. And he's sending me videos from Europe and there's like flares going off and there's drums and there's all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, that's absolutely bonkers to me. We're like, one guy's brother folds up a whole university team or a college oh, yeah. team at this tournament. And it's it just... Yeah, it's mind blowing, really. <laughs> he there was not a lot of people in that crowd either. Like he was the only person that was doing <laughs> stuff. He folded up the entire team. It was fantastic to watch. Well, I'm glad it's funny now to look back on, but I'm sure at the time I would have had the same thoughts as you. Like something totally unrelated happens, and you're like, "Wait, is this is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> Are they here, Brad?" <laughs> 
Well, amazing, man. Thank you for joining the Passing Dimes episode here. Uh, like I said, you were awesome on Sharp Cuts, and anybody who's just catching your name now should go back and listen to those because those were a ride to do with you and Pierce. So thank you for, for coming on the show again, and it was great to hear about your process and your career and where your confidence comes from. I'm so happy with what you shared tonight, and thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I love doing these, so um, I appreciate you asking me to, to come in and do this one-on-one and give a little in-depth story about my process and and my journey through this sport. So I appreciate that. Thank you.